1: From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Rachel Miro in for Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, in case you missed it, there are thousands of satellites orbiting Earth right now, many of them recent arrivals. There's a commercial corporate space rush on, as author and journalist Ashley Vance details in his new book, When the Heavens Went on Sale." once only governments could afford to play in this <laughs> space. Strangling innovation with politics and bureaucracy, Silicon Valley plays a different game, enthusiastically innovative, but also looking to make money, no matter who or what gets hurt. Now then, what does that mean for the rest of us? That's next, after this.
3: T-minus 10. 9, 8, 7, 6,
0: 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Ignition, engines full power, and liftoff of CRS 28. Go Falcon, go Dragon.
1: This is Forum. I'm Rachel Myro in for Mina Kim. It is so hard to get away from the internet these days. You could climb a mile high into the sky only to find yourself listening to another h- hiker argue loudly on a phone. But the same technology that makes that delight possible helps California fight wildfires and get a handle on how climate change is changing the earth. The same technology that makes it possible to spot, say, military movements from above makes us vulnerable to all sorts of attacks from above. We're living in a new normal created by a short list of people, many of them here in Silicon Valley. Joining me now to discuss all that is Ashley Vance, who's just come out with a new book, When the Heavens Went on Sale, The Misfits and Geniuses Racing to Put Space Within Reach. Ashley, thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Oh, my goodness. Where to begin? Why don't we start with the number of satellites? Uh, Did I read right? They've doubled over a two-year period to 5,000 in 2022. And uh, that number is expected to grow to I don't know, maybe 200,000 over the next decade?
2: Yeah, it's an incredible number that most people are not aware of, but, but pretty much from the start of the space race, the 1960s to about 2020, we had managed to put up 2,500 satellites in low Earth orbit. That number, that was the end number in 2020, but it hardly changed from year to year. You would add, I don't know, 10 to 20 or 30 satellites per year um, just from that point period to now. It's even gone up from what you said. So we went from 2,500 to about 10,000 today. And there's a pretty clear path to 100,000 to 200,000 in the next decade.
1: Who owns all these satellites and what are they doing with them?
2: Well, this is part of the story in my book is the, is the change in ownership of, of a lot of these satellites. Historically, a ton of those would have been government funded. They would have been agencies like like NASA scientific type missions and then some communications for stuff like like this to work but um, from that 2500 number to the 10,000 today almost none of those are government backed this this increase um, that's happened they are private companies a huge chunk of this is is what i call or a lot of people call the space internet its communications Systems that are high-speed internet that's sent down from space. Another huge chunk are imaging satellites, again, run by commercial companies that are photographing every spot on Earth all the time. And then just recently, now we're starting, actually on Monday, there was a launch. Um, A company called Varda, based in Los Angeles, sent up uh, a pharmaceutical manufacturing Hub into low Earth orbit, so now this is a whole new class of uh, applications,
1: uh, and I want to get into that. But but first, uh, just to define for the rest of us, what is lower Earth orbit?
2: Right, you, you know, I. It, I think a lot of people get excited about Mars and the moon and things like that. And, and there is some activity taking place there. I would argue, and I do argue in the book, you know, most of the money and and the rockets and the satellites are in low Earth orbit, which is it's the space kind of closest to Earth. You know, you go up about 100 miles and then um, low Earth orbit extends for another couple hundred miles. But it's where most of our satellites live. And, and there are some that are about in what they call geosynchronous orbit, which is like twenty thousand miles away, but but most of these satellites we're talking about are just right above our heads.
1: Uh, so now you you mentioned that uh, that recent satellite launch. Uh, tell us about it. What what exactly is that satellite going to be doing up there?
2: Well, and this this is part of the the change that's happening. So on Monday, a SpaceX rocket went up. Typically in the past satellites would be about the size of a school bus and you would you would send up one or two on one of these large rockets. This is what they call a rideshare mission and so satellites have shrunk in size and so this had dozens of satellites from dozens of startups so they were all doing different things. This company in particular Varda is fascinating. They this was their first ever mission to space and they have what is essentially like a miniaturized biolab a a pharmaceutical um factory that that they're sending to space it turns out molecules, atoms arrange themselves quite differently outside of the bounds of gravity. You can you can have them go into these patterns that are different um, than what you can get on Earth. And and we've already proven on the ISS with some experiments that we can manufacture whole new classes of drugs in space. And so this company has made that their mission and they flew on this SpaceX rocket. And this is their first um, sort of run through with, with their factory to see if it works.
1: You mentioned earlier, uh, you know, it used to be a satellite. Satellite was going to be the size of a school bus. Now, some of them can fit in your hand.
2: Yeah, the 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 old regime, and it still exists to some degree. Although most of these commercial companies are doing things this new way, it was you know you spent six years building a satellite. It would typically cost five hundred million dollars to a billion dollars. It was meant to stay in space for twenty years. It was it was like this very um, precious object that that spent a ton of money on it had to work you put it up there forever and it did its job these new ones some of them are like the size of like a mini refrigerator some are the size of a shoebox the ones you mentioned there's a company called swarm that makes ones that are about the size of a deck of cards and and you know this is all part of a um embracing the huge leaps forward we've made with electronics over the the past few decades where Things don't have to be as precious and as space grade as we thought they they could be, and so Moore's law has kind of come to space, and you have all these new types of satellites.
1: You know, this this makes me uh, think of that that old adage that uh, we grew up with, anyway: uh, cheaper, faster, better. You can only have two at the same time. But but what you're describing seems like that's been upended.
2: Yeah, I mean, that was this was what was holding space back. You know, I, I, to me, um, there. <laughs> The 60s, we had this great flurry of activity and we accomplished incredible things, the the mode of operation got got stuck. You know, it was it was these rockets had to be huge. They couldn't fail. Any satellites that went up, it was the same sort of thing. It had to be work perfectly. And and as a result, you had this weird thing where um, somebody specialized in making radios that were space grade and that meant they could survive the rocket launch. They could survive the temperature changes in space and it was some contractor somewhere like alabama and that's all they did and they sold this radio for like two hundred thousand dollars and everybody (laughs) bought it and and the people in my book in particular this company planet labs that started at nasa ames in silicon valley and is now based in san francisco they were the first ones to they literally sent a smartphone into space just to see if it worked and it turned out it did you know so so consumer Great electronics had gotten so good that, that you didn't need the space-grade stuff anymore, and you could totally embrace, you know, the faster, cheaper, better uh, mantra that's been part of the rest of our world here on Earth, and and now it's in orbit as well.
1: So, uh, you know, God— This has all happened in just a few years. And as I sort of intimated in my introduction, uh, there are a lot of positives and there are also a lot of negatives. Uh, Given that you've dived deep into this world are still diving deep as a reporter – What worries you about the stuff that's just rolling out? Because it's clearly rolling out with any regulatory oversight.
2: Yeah, I mean, I should say, net-net, I'm I'm an optimist for a lot of the reasons you pointed out in the introduction. These satellites are going to analyze the earth in fascinating ways. They're going to to bring people who have not been able to tap into the modern economy. Um, you know, th- there's half the world's population cannot get high-speed internet, and now they will. Uh, I think the biggest risk, which is obvious, is we're used to things moving pretty slow, having two thousand five hundred satellites. Now we're going to have a hundred thousand, then two hundred thousand. You know, the the regulatory bodies that do look over this stuff are not keeping pace with with what these commercial companies are doing. So there's a very obvious risk that that you have start having collisions in low Earth orbit, and and people argue quite convincingly that. You could have this cascading effect where something breaks up, it breaks into 10,000 pieces, that hits something else, and and you create this debris field in low Earth orbit that renders it pretty unusable. I think there's also, um, there's been this like status quo, you know, a handful of governments basically controlled space for these last 60, 70 years. And now it's much more like the Wild West, um, different Actors can get to space. They can do what they want. It's not clear that everyone will have the same motivations. And and then lastly, I, you know, this is a big topic, but, but Russia is sort of the wild card here. You have a space superpower that has its space program falling apart. Right now, it has no commercial space startups to replace the the old regime. And nobody, they've already shown that they're not um, always a rational actor in space. And so, you know, it's a bit of a question what happens with them.
1: And, and not just Russia. I mean, any government can purchase uh, any one of these satellites.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's... there's... <laughs> Either
1: on the, you know, a legitimate market or the black market. I mean, and and presumably some of these actors might be interested in pursuing military gold.
2: Absolutely. You know, there's there's totally two sides to this. One is, again, you had this handful of countries that dominated space, had the money and the wherewithal to do things there, and they had this advantage over everybody else. Now...
1: And they could make agreements, like, we agree to try to keep things free of space trash. We absolutely. agree not to, you know, shoot at each other's satellites and astronauts.
2: For sure. But if you were a country, like, I don't know, pick whatever you want. If you're Bolivia and you... You, you haven't made – you're not going to spend billions of dollars on a space program. You don't have access to these, these, these images of what's going on in your country, checking on the health of, of the environment. All, all You know, there's a democratization of information here, which I think is a plus. And, and we've seen it in the past, right, where um, somebody does a missile test and, and – Russia spins it one way and the United States spins it the other and they're the only two countries that happen to have pictures of this thing and, and you get like the government filter, now you can anyone can hop on Planet Lab's website and pull these pictures up for themselves. <laughs>
1: We are talking today, friends, about the commercial corporate Silicon Valley space race as profiled in the new book, When the Heavens Went on Sale*: The misfits and geniuses racing to put space within reach. We have our author in studio, Ashley Vance, technology writer for Bloomberg Businessweek, also the author of... Elon Musk, Tesla, SpaceX, and the quest for a fantastic future. What excites you about the future of space? What concerns you? Should this be privatized? Should governments be taking more of a role or less? If you've worked in this industry or work in it now, what worries or hopes do you have going forward? Email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We are at KQED Forum. Give us a call at 866-733-6786. Your phone still works. 866-733-6786. Call now.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
4: You're
1: listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Miro, in for Mina Kim, and I am talking right now with Ashley Vance, technology writer for Bloomberg Businessweek and the author of a number of fascinating books about technology, uh, including, as I mentioned earlier, Elon Musk, Tesla, SpaceX, and the Quest for a Fantastic Future, we're about to dive into some of that, as I imagine, Ashley, you anticipated. Uh, but most recently he has come out with When the Heavens Went on Sale: The Misfits and Geniuses Racing to Put Space Within Reach. As you can imagine, the phone lines are lighting up, and I'm going to give you the number once again, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. And uh, we've got the comments coming in as well. One listener writes, we should not allow more of these than are necessary. We must drastically decrease the amount of carbon being put in the air. People need to get to work and keep homes at a livable temperature. So, you know, this person is obviously uh, sharing the concerns I think a lot of us have that, you know, we are careening towards catastrophe, at least for human life on this planet. How does this space race impact that to the, to the good, to the bad?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a fascinating point. And clearly, you know, anytime humans tend to find a new territory to barge into, things do not go that well, if history is any indication. But, you know, in this particular case, I would actually argue, um, to me, I think, if we are especially to battle climate change, if we're going to start adding some metrics around things like carbon credits, um, some real numbers and accountability, I'm pretty convinced that it's these imaging satellites around Earth that are going to make this happen. Already today, we can count every tree on the planet. There's AI systems that then can tell what type of tree they are, how much biomass they have, how much carbon dioxide they suck down. We see rainforest getting cut down. Alerts go off. This happens in the Amazon right now. The satellite spot illegal deforestation, the authorities are alerted and they they show up to try and shut this down. We're monitoring methane leaks in oil fields and putting like actual numbers as to how much methane is coming out. And I think, you know, carbon credits has been this this very amorphous, vague, field with no real accountability to it so you know i think we're building this this almost like a google search engine around the planet that's going to study the planet in ways we never thought imaginable before
1: so at least it helps us you know start or continue the political conversations with data with more accurate data. So much yeah. more
2: accurate. I mean this is and this is not futuristic stuff like going to Mars and having th- th- all of this is happening right now. We can already do everything I just mentioned and there's now a fleet of startups that are very specifically focused on analyzing the environment from above
1: traffic maven Matthew writes, one question that occurs to me is a denizen of Bay Area traffic jams. Who will be responsible for tracking all the satellites and approving their planned orbits? And what about the increased chance of space junk and colliding satellites and degrading orbits from hitting me in Sonoma County? Does my homeowner's insurance cover a falling satellite?
2: So this is both exciting and harrowing at the same time. You know, historically, they're Objects in space have been tracked by by the government, um, the Air Force, NASA, different groups. Today, the leading company tracking objects in space is called Leo Labs. I write about them at the end of the book. They're based in in the South Bay. Um, they created a novel sort of antenna system. It came out of SRI, the Stanford Research Institute. And they've set up this network of antennas around the world. They can spot any object in space down to about a centimeter in size. And they are now the leading traffic controller of objects in space. Companies like SpaceX and Planet Labs hire them to find out where their satellites are, to maneuver the satellites out of the way of each other. It's sort of incredible. These satellites exchange about 400 million messages, you know, every few minutes um, to to dodge all this stuff. But this is a 50-person outfit a startup you know so it's great that they're there but people should know that you know this is who's watching over this whole thing
1: Mm. well (laughs) the calls are coming in and as expected we have uh, some people who have worked in the industry as it were um, or this field of uh, innovation and technology development I should say why don't we take a call now from John in Palo Alto hi John
3: yeah, hi there. Um, I used to work for NASA. I'm not going to say which center um, for NDA purposes, but uh, part of my role was to develop programs for the Lunar Habitation Program. Um, and uh, one of the things I noticed for, with NASA was that there wasn't a handshake between the different centers, whether Kennedy or Ames or um, Johnson, as far as the testing regimes they had for various materials and so on and so forth. So I'm hoping like with these new programs that there's going to be some degree of collaboration as far as these testing regimes and the information that they gain uh, so as to move the program forward collaboratively. So I'm not sure if that's, uh, that applies um, as far as the current dis- discussion, but I wanted to just put in my two cents there.
2: Yeah, it's a great point. You know, in my book, um, I spent a lot of time at NASA Ames, which is in Mountain View, and it's both sort of a hero and in the book, and also gets at some of the dysfunction that you're talking about. You know, there was a director there named Pete Warden who came in. Um, mm-hmm. He wanted to make space cheap. He wanted to make cheap satellites, cheap rockets. A lot of the startups in my book actually came out of NASA Ames, but he was seen as as almost this um, radical element within NASA. And, and Congress and they every time they found out he was trying to do something cheaper they did, did their best to shut it down nobody wanted to know he, he tried to make a, a cheap lunar lander they had to hide it in a secret closet um, just so, so some senators wouldn't find out about it and and as you point out you know all these NASA centers compete against each other for money and and sort of trample on each other's toes um, so NASA still does some amazing things. I wouldn't hold out much hope for what you're, you're looking for. I, I don't think um, the bureaucracy is really heading in any more encouraging direction than it has historically.
1: Well, that's grim news. Uh, but <laughs> thank you, John, for, for raising that point. It's a really good one. Uh, let's take a, another call. Uh, Damien in San Lorenzo. Hi, Damien.
3: Yeah, hi. Hi there. Can you hear
1: me? We sure can.
3: Okay, great. Thank you. Great conversation. My question is this. If you can produce these satellites in such an amount and so cheaply, does the Space Force Command, the United States Space Force Command, have any uh, strategy for creating, like, a massive bulldozer to move these satellites away in case they do become, like, an imprisoning factor around Earth? Thank you.
2: Well, the... I wouldn't hold up much hope for the Space Force taking that particular job on. They are trying to make their own huge fleet of satellites to compete with things like SpaceX's Starlink um, space internet system. But, you know, to your question, there are now startups that are looking to become kind of the garbage collectors of space to clean up debris. There's some that are putting up satellites that also have this this kind of like vacuuming um, debris collection job that goes along with their communication jobs more worryingly maybe along the the question you're asking. We've seen China Put up a satellite and then eject a baby satellite, which is then gone and just kind of hovered near um, American satellites just to sort of let us know that um, they might be able to bump our satellite out of orbit or or even sort of hack into it and and create some some mayhem. I think, you know, it's going to be a very interesting era as, as these commercial uses and military uses collide up there.
1: Thank you so much for that question. And we we have a couple of comments about a different kind of pollution, light pollution. Jim writes already, I occasionally notice what looks like a string of lights streaking across the night sky. What will the night sky look like when there are thousands of satellites in orbit? Is Is there a way the satellite owners can minimize this light trail pollution? And, you know, I'm sure you've read the headlines of, you know, annoyed astronomers saying, look, you just ruined, you ruined. My research.
2: Yeah, this is, I mean, this is kind of why I wrote the book. Now, is I don't think most people were aware we're about to have this huge exponential increase in satellites. I was sort of shocked that most astronomers did not start complaining about this issue at all until SpaceX had actually launched its first bit of the Starlink fleet. None of this was secret. People have to apply um, for these launches way ahead of time. I saw this coming. The astronomers. Did not complain until these got up in the sky, and now you know it's it's, it's really almost too late. I I do think um, it's fascinating. It's a totally different life. Anybody who's able to go out where it's a little bit dark will now see satellites going through the sky, and and these companies are doing some things. They're painting them certain colors. They're trying to make this this non reflective. Kind of coding, so it, you, to help with the light pollution. But you, like we should all know that uh, whatever era existed before is is over.
1: I, I guess it, the first thing that occurs to me is that maybe astronomers are headed to uh, space themselves with satellites that can. Look at things from beyond uh, the glow of Earth's atmosphere.
2: There is a plus side to this, yeah. which is along with this revolution, the price of rockets has come down. What you can do with the rockets has gone up. And so for these astronomers, yeah, I think that's the next move is to is to piggyback on, on the fact that your your science can be a bit cheaper now. And you can put a satellite, you can put a telescope, you know, further out uh, much more easily than you could before and, and gather the data back.
1: Well, uh, speaking of uh, of going from space uh, for Earth uses to space to space uh, uses, I'm I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about um, how this this changing landscape has affected the conversation for things like mining the moon, sett- settling Mars, espresso machines that can function at zero gravity.
2: Well. Look, rocket launches have, have come down in price. We're seeing now, there, clearly NASA has this effort to, to get back to the moon and take humans there. But along with that, there are now all kinds of private projects. Lockheed Martin has a new startup that's focused on the moon and putting satellites around the moon and possibly some sort of manufacturing operation there. The Mars stuff is, is kind of Elon's thing, and it's a bit further away, um, but... All the people should know that there's just there's there's just a realm of new possibility as a traditional rocket launch in the U.S. used to cost about 300 million dollars. SpaceX flies for about 60 million dollars. Some of the companies I write about in the book will get you to space for just a few million dollars. And so, so, you know, there's so much more that's possible now for both governments, scientists and companies to to make a go of these things.
1: Well, you knew this question was coming. To what extent can we credit or blame Elon Musk and SpaceX for where we are now?
2: Well, either one. It depends which camp you're in, but he gets he gets most of the credit and blame. You, We'd, we'd had very wealthy people try to do commercial space before they had largely failed. Um, Elon was with a group of, with Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson and Paul Allen that, that tried to do some of the stuff at more or less the same time. He's really the only one that's succeeded. SpaceX now... It's such an unlikely story because it's the riskiest of all his companies, but they are the unquestioned leader in rockets worldwide, ahead of any government, ahead of any company. They are also now the world's largest manufacturer of satellites by by many times, and and this is in a twenty-year time span. That this this immigrant from South Africa. It's a very you know, I know, tons of people do not like Elon Musk. This is about the most patriotic story that that you could kind of imagine. The U.S. space program, if SpaceX did not exist, would be in very bad shape and, and China would be racing ahead of us. And, and you know, it's really... SpaceX that made so many of these characters in my book sort of dream that they could also do something like this and kicked off this commercial space revolution.
1: It is interesting. Like, like you say, they, they, SpaceX didn't create a new monopoly uh, by sort of upending the way things were done before. It's it's created a new field, a new field of opportunity for, for companies big and small.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, it was this – they. Built rockets cheaper, then they made them reusable, which almost everybody said was impossible. The idea of mass manufacturing satellites was just not a concept. Like we talked about before, you you did these one-off things over the course of many years now. They're pumping out Starlinks from a factory hundreds at a time. And and it was this kind of clean slate, um, Silicon Valley approach to space that we just, nobody had, people had wanted to do this. They just hadn't succeeded and now we've moved from governments funding space to billionaires, hundred millionaires to now it's it's venture capitalist. You can start a space company um with a relatively small amount of money. I just got back from Kyrgyzstan, where the, the country has no history in, in space, really, and there's an all-female team of 20-something engineers building the country's first satellite because they can do this for a couple million dollars that they've raised. And, and so, you know, this is just a totally new era of what's possible.
1: You know, people like Musk have have made a habit of risking other people's safety on, on their paths to glory and profit. Uh, so what if a few cars crash while company engineers work out the kinks of automated driving? So what if under-moderated hate, hate speech on social media platforms leads to in-real-life attacks? Where do you see policymakers entering into this? You know, Okay, yeah, there's there's China and Russia, but here in the US or or in Europe, places where we kind of expect our governments to protect us from unbridled capitalism. What could what should lawmakers be doing?
2: It's a, it's a fascinating question. There, there's a lot of rules today around the rockets and they're basically ICBMs, missiles and and so the US doesn't love it when other countries can send these up, you know, the 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 FAA monitors: Is your rocket safe? Where are you going to launch it from? Is it going to do what you promise it's going to do? There's some regulation around the satellites, especially communications. Is your communication satellite going to interfere with this other? And to your point, is it going to deorbit safely? Do you know what you're doing? Um, a lot of the regulation starts to disappear once you put the satellite in orbit. There's there's almost nothing to sort of stop anyone from. Once you're there doing what you want to, in many ways, the one country that is thinking about this and maybe a model for everyone else is New Zealand, which which has just become a spacefaring nation. In my book, I write about this company, Rocket Lab, and this fascinating guy, Peter Beck, who started the company. They are the only country I know of that has any legislation around ensuring that you are responsible for the satellite you've put up. What happens to it? How it deorbits? Is this done in an environmentally safe way? SpaceX is already getting in some trouble from people arguing they're putting up so many satellites. Some of them are deorbiting, not always safely. And so so, uh, again, this is why I wrote this book. I want people to start asking these questions a little bit more loudly um, as we rush towards all this.
1: Well, we're getting a lot of calls, but I want to encourage you, if you have a question for Ashley Vance, author of When the Heavens Went on Sale, now is the time to pick up your phone and get in the queue, as it were. 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Why don't we talk to Lakshmi in San Francisco? Hi there. Hi. Can you hear me? We sure can. Great.
3: Great. Um, Ashley, this is a fascinating conversation uh, because uh, I'm from India, and I'm actually we're running a conference this September. The future of space is a very big area we are looking at. As you know, India does a lot of work in space. So the question I have for you is that there have been very traditional leaders, you know, Russia and America being one. And now you talked about Kyrgyzstan, and but there's India, and there is you know probably many many other countries. That are doing this because the cost has come down. You know, I've 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 worked with Gordon Moore, so I know Moore's law very well. And uh, so, with Moore's law, with the cost coming down, how is the power structure is going to change? You think?
1: In Lakshmi, the area I'm going to have you this. hang on. Don't go anywhere. We have to go into a break right now. Uh, but that is a very good question. How how does the rest of the globe get in on the game? We are talking to Ashley Vance about when the heavens went on sale. The misfits and geniuses racing to put space. Within reach. You're listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro, Infermina Kim. Join the conversation. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum.
4: You're
1: listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro and Fermina Kim here with Ashley Vance, technology writer for Bloomberg Businessweek, who's come out with a new book, When the Heavens Went on Sale, The Misfits and Geniuses Racing to Put Space Within Reach. And we are uh, joined as well right now by Lakshmi in San Francisco. Lakshmi, is it is it fair to say your your question for Ashley was was you know how countries uh, you know it, uh, that have perhaps not been as strong in space uh, get to participate in this this new uh, space race?
3: Yes, and also how is it how is the power shift going to happen in the future? Um, so yeah. just curious about that
2: it's a great great question um you know i i think the whatever world order we were used to is is being shaken up I, I actually start the book in india um with a rocket launch and and it has does have this great history in space um i think what yeah. we're going to see is you know there's there's going to be kind of rocket players, but the the real democratization takes place with the satellites, which, as I mentioned, have come down in price so far. There was already somebody, I think I, I saw him on Twitter, he read my, my Elon book before, he, he was based in India, and now he started uh, a satellite imaging company in India with, with just a couple million dollars. Um, so I think, Pretty much any country, any startup that wants to to take a crack at doing something interesting with a satellite will be able to do it. We have there will be new spacefaring nations. I mean New Zealand has no aerospace history at all as a tiny country. They Rocket Lab is now second after SpaceX, clearly, as as the major commercial rocket player. And so this is an incredible achievement. The Peter Beck, who started the company, he didn't even go to college. This is not an MIT, PhD, or a team of a thousand MIT PhDs. This was just a very driven, intelligent human being who who created an entire nation's space program. And and so, you know, again, the realm of possibilities open. I think countries like India will continue to do well. I think Russia is in a really tough spot. Um, and then I think the U.S. should be excited because our space program was in the doldrums when the space shuttle retired. Things were looking very bad. We were very dependent on Russia for a lot of what we needed. Now we have more commercial space companies than anywhere on Earth.
1: Thank you so much for that great question, Lakshmi. Let's take another call now. Peter in San Francisco. Hi, Peter.
3: Yes, hi. Thank you for having this program. Uh, My concern is basically human freedom And what might be considered incursions that were never before possible on privacy, whether it's visual from a satellite looking down at your backyard or your roof or your nude beach or where individuals or groups of people are moving, where they're going, seems to me that visually and electronically, these uh, satellites offer tremendous potential for invasions of privacy that were never possible. And the... In, in infringement of human freedom everywhere, I also would say that you know when you talk about the democratization of space, uh, it sounds to me more like a Wild West with many of the many of the people having their motives that are not great for human freedom, such as the exploitation of people for profit using whatever techniques they have you know that 's the motive certainly for the private folks typically is to make more money than they already have. And all of that, I think, uh, well, I'd certainly like to hear what your uh, opinion about that is, as well as with respect to regulation. Yeah, we have regulation of all kinds of things, including very inadequate regulation of the Internet. Um, But, uh, you know, when you talk about hate speech, that's something that people are talking about. How might it or should it be regulated? But I'm interested in what you say about privatization and the incursions actual and potential on human freedom and what might be done about that
2: my my big picture thought would be you raise all valid points and these are, are, are obvious very real concerns and questions uh when you hear about these imaging satellites going around the Earth from these startups, you should know there is some regulation. Uh, you know, the the spy satellites made by the U.S. government can see they have much higher res- resolution. There's laws around the resolution that these commercial satellites can have. They cannot see somebody's face. They can barely see a human. It's more moving of cars, buildings, forests, things like that. Um, I, I, I imagine that won't give you much peace of mind. My general thought um, is that we, my general thought is we all have a smartphone. And if you have a GPS tracker in your pocket and, and everything you do on email in the Internet, um, you've given yourself over to that. I, these satellites pale in comparison to that. I, it depends where you fall on that spectrum. But I I, you know, I would posit that we're living in a new world where, where many of these ships have already sailed.
1: How do you feel, Ashley? About it? I mean, we were talking earlier. You know, the the idea that that we're going to see a, a lot more incursions uh, onto the moon, onto Mars, from from private players. And you know, I I suppose you know when I see you know other nations' flags, you know, planted in in that dirt, I think to myself, well, you know, that's that's just the exuberance. Yay, we got there. Yay, Team China or whatever it is. Uh, but it it has a different in a way, more ominous feel uh, for me to imagine, say, I don't know, Virgin Galactic or Amazon Space, you know, uh, on that flag.
2: Yeah. You know, look, overall, as you can probably tell, I tend to be an optimist about these things. I the book is called When the Heavens Went on Sale because you know the heavens have gone on sale. I, I mean, yes, we have a NASA program looking to take humans back to the moon. But between China, the United States, all these companies, the moon will very shortly be parceled up into uh, different commercial operations. The same goes for asteroids. Um,
1: but you're not a, a booster of that. You're just saying no, be I mean, aware
2: it's happening. Yeah, the. the you know the entire reason I wrote this book, I think it's driven by some fascinating characters who have different motivations. A company like Planet Labs, I do think, is actually backed by idealists who who generally want to do good. As you go further into the book, the capitalism comes screaming out of it and and people have have quite different motivations for what they want to do. I think, this is inevitable. I think people should be aware of it. And if they really want to see some sort of change, you know, the time would be now to voice their opinion.
1: Well, I guess you heard that, <laughs> Peter. It's time to start contacting your representatives in Washington, D.C. Uh, thank you so much for that. Let's take another call. Steve in Oakland. Hi, Steve.
3: Hi, how are you doing today? Good. So I'm just wondering, in the future, would you think it will be some type of collaboration with all the scientists to just wait two huge satellites where you can use the parts from the satellites that's already in the sky and they'll just cut down on those satellites to continue to go up? And you can make the actually more innovation when you have them all collaborating together. If things will go a lot quicker and you can get things a lot uh, a lot more done, and and, uh, and and innovation will be, astounding I, I because you have all the greatest w- minds in the world.
1: So so co- so collaborative instead of competitive. Thoughts about that?
2: Look, I don't imagine things playing out quite the way. Um, you're presenting, you know, especially in this new commercial era, you you have these silos of, of people driven to do their particular thing. I, I do think there's an interesting time coming along where as, as this industry in low Earth orbit increases, you know, we will not always have to be sending up a rocket every time we want to put a satellite up. I mean, there's going to be refueling stations for rockets in low Earth orbit. There's going to be manufacturing that actually takes... Things we do on Earth today that produce greenhouse gases, things like data centers, people have a very clear path now to put a lot of computing in space, have it be solar powered, just send the data back to Earth, um, offloading, you know, many of these things we we do here. I do not think I think this is a very competitive field. I don't think many countries will collaborate and I don't think many companies will, will collaborate and. You know, we're, we're really heading towards many, many, many more satellites rather than, than fewer to do all these jobs.
1: Thank you for that uh, question, Steve. One listener asks, what's the timeline for average Joes being able to buy a flight into space?
2: You can sort of do that today. Blue Origin and, and Virgin Galactic, they've had sort of an off and on run here over the last couple of years where you can go to the edge of space for about six minutes. You know, it costs millions of dollars in some cases. Um, so definitely not average Joe there yet. SpaceX has a different tourism option that's just starting up, which is quite a lot more ambitious where you you get to go to the ISS or you do a couple laps around the moon on this multi-day journey. Again, you're talking about millions of dollars. I think Tom Cruise is going to fir- film the first movie in space on, on one of these SpaceX missions. The It's been sort of false starts um, with space tourism. And outside of these six-minute flights, you know, the average Joe will not be going anytime soon. But I would say possibly within our lifetimes, 20, 25 years, the, the price really should come down quite dramatically.
1: One listener writes, has privatized space travel impacted NASA in terms of it becoming more efficient or creating competition?
2: I would not say more, more efficient <laughs> at all. Uh, I mean, NASA's in this very strange place. That might be another ship that sails. Yeah, you know? this is this is a long conversation. But, you know, in the midst of SpaceX revolutionizing rockets and bringing the price down, NASA was busy building something called the Space Launch System, the SLS, for about $50 billion. It was many years behind. It's going to cost $2 billion per flight. Um, so really not sort of the model... We want to go on. We're, we're also not totally beholden to SpaceX now. Blue Origin is, is about to start flying similar rockets. So we have options. I think the the best thing NASA could possibly do is, is just totally put its focus on things that commercial companies are not doing and do the most cutting edge. Far out there science, exploring through the solar system and the universe, things even like habitats where it, it can offer something unique. We're still it's, more,
1: more of a pure science play, it seems like. Yeah, because still there's still yeah.
2: this huge chunk of NASA that is now competing against commercial operators that just do things much better, faster and cheaper than NASA ever will.
1: This is Forum. I'm Rachel Myro, in for Mina Kim, and we are talking with Ashley Vance, uh, author of the book When the Heavens Went on Sale: The Misfits and Geniuses Racing to Put Space Within Reach. So, you know, Ashley, I'm I'm wondering, uh, you know, in in these few minutes we have left, uh, if you could touch a little more deeply on what we can learn from the way SpaceX has been involved in the in the Russian invasion. Uh, of defending Ukraine from the Russian invasion.
2: Well, it's not just SpaceX. I mean, you know, I write at the end of the book, this was, I would call the first space war. And and it's fascinating. You had, leading up to the war, Russia was saying, we're not going to invade Ukraine. The U.S. and its allies were saying, yes, you are. This is this debate you you could have. It turns out we had all these images from Planet Labs and Maxar, another satellite company, that showed the Russian troops amassing on the border of Belarus. Um, When the Russian troops came in, we then had hundreds of images on front pages of newspapers of the Russian troops being stuck on these roads. The the Ukrainians knew the troop movements at night from these commercial satellites. The Russians went in and tried to destroy Ukraine's communications network and, and did. But then it turned out SpaceX had this starlink space internet system which ukraine has been relying on since the war began and so you had this massive i mean historic space superpower in russia that had commercial space had space totally turned against it through these private players the u.s government cannot replicate what planet labs and spacex did and when elon threatened to turn off the space internet U.S. government complained, but there was nothing they could do. It was the whims of this this one man who's almost like a nation state now, and so so that again brings up the pros and cons here. But, um, you know, to me this war, it was such an obvious um, example of everything I was researching and writing about, and how the world had changed.
1: I think we have time for at least one more call. Let's talk to VJ in Dublin. Hi, VJ. Hey,
3: hi. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Great program. Uh, my question uh, is uh, regarding, uh, is there like an international body or a forum that can uh, uh, guide or provide guidance in terms of the number of satellites a country or a, a country can launch, right? I mean, as as the speaker already said, there are a lot of satellites in the orbit now and a country like U.S. with all the might and money can launch as many satellites as they want to the government or commercial compared to a country, for example, Bolivia, right? So is there like a restriction or a forum uh, that can provide this guidance. Thank you. I'll take the call after the call
2: uh, of air. Thank you. There are international bodies that try to to coordinate some of this, less putting limitations and more um, trying to make sure satellites don't interfere with each other. That that countries know what they're doing. Again, I'm sorry to be uh, Debbie Downer, but the you know, with SpaceX building the space internet system, China is obviously going to want a space internet system. Almost any Europe is going to want a space internet system. Each one of these is 15,000 satellites. You know, I, I do not, I think we're heading much more towards a race to, between all of these competing parties to put up as many as they can and have have the same services rather than, than any sort of um, you know, moderate-controlled regime governing who, who can do what up there outside of some of these, these basic measures.
1: It just strikes me that we're talking about a, a world uh, that may in a dystopian fashion be proving Buckminster Fuller right. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I want to go back to something you were talking about, You know, Elon Musk being a, a sort of nation state. And given that oftentimes, you know, uh, the people who are big players uh, in a nascent industry can quickly be upended by small players, given all that, It's also true that more often than not, we see, especially with Silicon Valley, uh, you know, a a small group of companies, you know, locking control uh, over whatever the latest chapter is. Do you worry about monopolization? Do you worry that we'll have just a handful of big players, maybe not immediately, but in the near term?
2: It's interesting right now, you know, SpaceX started about 20 years ago and nobody on Earth, I don't even think Elon would have predicted that they actually ended up in the spot that they're in now. But it's 20 years of time. It was privately funded through investors and and Elon's own money. They are now so dominant that really it's exactly what you have described. Nobody – they are running laps around nations, all the other companies. Their lead is – it's like sort of hard to put into words that this company – has become the most successful rocket and satellite company in history in 20 years. And um, so, you know, you could argue already maybe they are like the equivalent of the Google search engine of, of rockets. Um, there is a ton of competition. There are wealthy people. China most certainly will not stand for for SpaceX being the only game in town. Um, and, and I think in the satellites, there's tons of room for experimentation. I think we're at the very, this is like, internet 1996 i mean we're at the very early stages of of who wins and loses here the rocket stuff is a little uh little dicier (laughs)
1: last question as we wrap up this hour act as if you were generative ai where are we going next
2: (laughs) where are we going next um you know I, again, just just I, I, I know people get excited about the moon and Mars and all of this stuff. But I, I to me, it's so clear that we are building what I think of as the next chapter of our technological infrastructure right over our, our heads. And I do think we're going to have this computing shell going around Earth. I think um, it's unclear exactly how much business there is and if it'll work, but we are going to give it a try and, and it's an exciting time to see what happens.
1: Ashley Vance, what a pleasure talking with you today.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Ashley Vance, uh, author of the new book When the Heavens Went on Sale: The Misfits and Geniuses Racing to Put Space Within Reach. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro in for Mina Kim. Thank you for all of your calls and comments. Be sure to tune in for more Forum tomorrow.